This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK, talking about what Trump is actually doing, not just what he's tweeting. Later in this hour, the Republican tax bill was finally released today in the House. It would cut corporate taxes by more than a trillion and a half dollars. Wow, that's even more than we made in the KPFK fund drive that just ended. John Nichols will comment. First up today, Amy Wilentz on Trump family troubles following the indictment of the Trump's campaign chief, Paul Manafort. Trump Watch starts right now. Well, we're still thinking about the arrest on Monday of Trump campaign chief Paul Manafort on multiple felony charges. He could go to jail for 20 years for money laundering, or he could cooperate with special prosecutor Robert Mueller and provide information about the crimes of Donald Trump, Don Jr., Jared Kushner, and others who are involved in the obstruction of justice around the investigation of Trump campaign collusion with the Russians. For comment and analysis of the Trump family troubles... We turn to Amy Willens. Of course, she's a longtime contributing editor at The Nation, former Jerusalem correspondent of The New Yorker, best known for her award-winning books on Haiti, especially Farewell, Fred Voodoo. Amy, welcome back. Thank you, John. Well, before we get to the indictments, we need to talk about the Trump's Halloween, in particular the Halloween of Don Jr. and his daughter, Chloe. Little Chloe. Little Chloe went out for Halloween, and she got a big orange uh, pumpkin full of very nice candies. And so Don was speculating uh, on social media about our form of government and our economy. And he was using Little Chloe and candy, which is one of his favorite metaphors, um, to explain why socialism is bad. He said, now what if Chloe went out and just gave half of her candy away to some kid who didn't even go out for Halloween. That's socialism. <laughs> That's not the way I think of socialism. Uh, it's not taking away little Chloe's candy and giving it to other people. It's, it's uh, I don't know what's, I mean, among the other things, I guess he's talking not just about socialism, but taxes in general. And do, when we take away people's candy, do we not use that candy to pay police officers and firefighters and ambulance drivers and nurses and teachers. That's how we use our Mars bars. <laughs> um, J.K. Rowling responded quite amusingly. That's the author of Harry Potter. For yeah. all of you who have been uh, in a dark room for the past 20 years, <laughs> uh, she tweeted, well, they should fill her bucket with old candy left to her by her great-great-grandfather and then explain that she has more because she's just smarter than all the other kids. <laughs> <laughs> but Chloe, it, it's mean to do because Chloe, he put up a picture of his little daughter. How old daughter. is Chloe? She's three years old. She has beautiful blonde Ivanka hair, and she was wearing just the coolest New York City police fighter's <laughs> outfit. So she was very adorable, and it's not her fault if her father uses her candy to make political points. Well, Gail Collins uh, today in the New York Times said, this is not the right moment to pick on Don Jr. His mother, Ivana, published a memoir recently where she said his father didn't want him named Donald Jr. in case he turned into a loser. <laughs> 
Isn't that nice that there's a man who's really betting on his family? You know, I think that's because Donald Trump had a very unsuccessful brother and that that has actually haunted him throughout his life. Well, and in uh, case the kid turns out like the brother, he doesn't want the name on This him. is the, old, the older brother, the oldest son of Fred Trump. Uh, who presumably absorbed most of the the brunt of the aggression and pressure from Fred Trump's demand that his sons be tough and successful. And not losers. And not losers. And he became an alcoholic and died at a young age. And undoubtedly, this made a big impression on the younger brother. Who doesn't drink. Who doesn't drink and who is very preoccupied with winning success. success and so on. Keeping the candy. Keeping all the candy. (laughs) Well, on Monday, Paul Manafort was charged with money laundering, a felony. There is a local angle to the money laundering story that I wanted to bring up here. Uh, The indictment said his crimes included laundering money through a Beverly Hills clothing store. Tell us about this. Well, money laundering is hard to understand, but one way to launder money is to turn it into goods. Sometimes that are resaleable, i.e. art and antiques, on which Manafort also spent a lot of money. Rugs are a fabled way of taking bad money and putting it into an object. But Manafort also spent it on tailor-made clothing. Um, So what he does is he takes untaxed offshore income in accounts and he wires it to the purveyor. And that way the money is effectively cleaned and always remains untaxed. So when you go shopping, do you pay your bills with uh, money transfers from banks in Cyprus? Yes. uh, And those banks in Cyprus always get the money from my banks in Russia. (laughs) It is an unusual way to pay your bills. It's an unusual way to pay your bills. And he uh, spent more than 500000 in a single Beverly Hills clothing store for Clothing. We don't know whether it was a men's clothing store. No, was, or, I think there are and men's then there's eight hundred fifty thousand at around the same time in a New York men's clothing store. And he is apparently not that I ever noticed when vaguely gazing at photographs of him. He's a very uh, sharp dresser, according to everybody online. And the Beverly Hills store is how do you pronounce this? Bijan. 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 He spent. All I know of Bijan is on the unlikely corner of Pico and Sepulveda, there are two Bijan billboards on either side of Pico. Now, Pico and Sepulveda, you know, is there's a donut place, there's a lumber yard, there's a welfare office. It's not really the kind of place where people with $520,000 to spend on men's clothing hang out. Except it is a shortcut from LAX. (laughs) Well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But I just want to emphasize, I want to ask you here, I just want to make sure, is it a crime, a federal offense to spend $520,000 at Bijan in Beverly Hills? No, it's taking the money and shielding it from the eyes of the IRS. Uh, and and um, perhaps the uh, investigation knows more about where the money came from than we do. Well, and the the key thing, there's the tax fraud angle. He didn't pay taxes on this money that's in the Bank of Cyprus that he's buying stuff with at Bijan in Beverly Hills. Now, Donald Trump says, this has nothing to do with me or my campaign. Manafort buying clothes at Bijan in Beverly Hills, whatever you think about it, 
it doesn't show Russian collusion in Trump becoming president. I think he's right about that. I think he's right about uh, the charges against Manafort and the charges against Rick Gates. Um, because the the actual fact of what they've done or are charged with doing is not does not involve Trump. The theory is that confronted with prison time for this kind of uh, fraud, they might feel pressure from the Mueller team to turn around, give away some stuff about Trump and Russia, and thereby uh, get lighter sentences than they otherwise would have done. And just in case this wasn't clear to Paul Manafort uh, already, the same day uh, that special counsel Robert Mueller arrested Manafort, he released the the details of the plea bargain agreement with this guy I had never heard of, Papadopoulos, uh, who is not seems, it seems, is not going to go to jail and who did plead guilty to crimes that involved concealing contacts with Russians on behalf of the Trump presidential campaign. So we have a plea bargain that is about uh, the Trump campaign colluding with Russia. Mm -hmm. And then we have a potential 20-year sentence against somebody who would know a lot about that, Paul Manafort. And uh, Manafort, the suggestion is, well, if Manafort just looked at how Papadopoulos handled this, maybe he'll decide to do the same right. thing. Right. Thus, the general freakout at the White House right now, according to the usually reliable <laughs> Vanity Fair reports that have been coming out. Yeah, this was a fascinating article that you pointed out to me that appeared at the Vanity Fair website yesterday, I think it was. Mm -hmm. uh, Tell us what Vanity Fair ha is reporting on the basis of what they call uh, conversations with a half dozen advisors and friends of the president. They're saying that um, the idea of impeachment, which up until now has seemed to the Trump administration like a, a, a fevered dream of the liberal establishment, is now looking like more real and scary since the Manafort and Gates uh, indictments. So, uh, therefore, a lot of people who would like not to be destroyed or taken down or have anything to say to the to the Mueller investigation are trying to keep a little bit of their distance from anything Russia. And it was uh, Vanity Fair reported that Dina Powell, who's the deputy national security advisor for strategy, and Gary Cohn, the chief economic advisor, they leave the room every time the word Russia comes up because they don't want to know anything or have any information. They Yes, they want to be able to say, I, I, I don't know the answer to your question. But there's also a concern that people are feeling, again, more or less according to this report, um, that Trump is feeling cornered and that he has this tendency to come out swinging when he feels cornered and that that could be... I mean, not that we would mind if it was damaging to him, but that it might be very damaging. Um, and it seems like, you know, I don't know what you think, John, but he seems not to really have fired Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon seems to be very influential right now. Um, Bannon's people are leaking all over the place. Maybe they're not even Bannon's people. Maybe they're Bannon himself about what Bannon has been saying to the president about his situation right now. Um, he still seems to have a very receptive ear in the White House. And apparently the consensus among Trump and his network 
is now that, you know, maybe they're sad that Bannon isn't there anymore and that the Vanity Fair quote is that Jared Kushner is the worst political advisor in the White House in modern history. And I read that and I thought like, duh, we could have told you that. (laughs) He was appointed by the worst executive in the White House in in modern history. Let me just say, you have been telling us that Jared is an unqualified staff member as an advisor to the president ever since January 20th on this very program. I'm not convinced that other than buying up real estate in Somerville, Massachusetts, while he was supposed to be studying at Harvard, Jared has ever done something successful in an executive capacity. Hmm. Harsh words. Harsh harsh words. We're speaking with Amy Willens. If you've just tuned in, we're talking about the indictments on Monday and the implications for the president and his family. According to VanityFair.com, they feel the implications are that this is only the beginning. It's only just begun, to quote the Carpenters. It's only just begun. And uh, what is to come uh, is going to lead us towards more people. turning states' evidence, cooperating with the prosecutors, telling more about Trump, and therefore the Trump White House is thinking about the end game, the scenarios of what will happen when lots of other people testify, and they will probably testify, uh, Manafort, for example, not just about the president, but about the other people who attended the famous meeting at Trump Tower Don Jr. and, and Jared, Jared Kushner with the Russian woman, and you alone can pronounce her name. Veselnitskaya. <laughs> Thank you. Natalia Veselnitskaya. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm just thinking about this quote about Jared Kushner yeah. as the worst political advisor. So that is a, a typical Trump feint. When mm. something bad is happening to him, he turns and executes the person closest to him. But another thing that's happened, and Trump is really glad about this, if I may say so. I mean, I'm sure he's very sorry for the victims and everything. But we've had this terrorist attack in New York, and the timing couldn't be better for Trump because Manafort is indicted, arrested, and then there's this horrible episode of terrorism involving an immigrant to the United States. Uh, And Trump is all tweeting his brains out over it because he wants to distract us um, on this quite important issue. But, I mean, his his tweets are excessively dramatic, uh, gut responses as typical when he wants to get the attention of the the base. He says justice in the United States is a joke. Well, uh, I I don't think – I don't think, for instance, Paul Manafort believes it's a joke to deal with the Justice Department. No, or the or the cop who had to go and face this guy on the street and uh, you know shoot him so that he didn't kill him. Yeah. that's not uh, a joke. Yeah, uh, this is this is uh, this is true. Uh, I, I want to get back once again to this quote: "Jared is the worst political <laughs> advisor." Just to show that there is a logic here, and the logic is why. Is there a special counsel, Robert Mueller, who is now raising questions about right. the end game? Well, it's because it's because Trump fired the FBI director, James Comey. And who said that would be a good idea? Jared Kushner and a whole bunch of other people. And Trump. And Trump himself. But there is a a a logic. There's here. a reasoning. And it, you know, it's Maybe it's true. On the other hand, if if we if Mueller will st- were still there, he might be doing the same thing. But how is Trump supposed to feel when Steve Bannon's people are telling Vanity Fair that Bannon feels that if there were a vote taken today of the cabinet on the 25th Amendment, which uh, 
allows for a president to be removed who is unfit for office, uh, that Trump might not win that vote of the cabinet who, if you remember, were sitting around bestowing praise on Trump under the TV cameras. It's just a couple of weeks ago here that you were you were reminding us that the 25th Amendment is the other way the president can be removed right. from office. It requires a vote of a majority of the cabinet. That's what you are re- reminding us here. And according to a source, Vanity Fair tells us, Bannon concludes uh, he's not sure if Trump would survive such a vote. That's a quote from Vanity Fair. Uh, I found that astounding. You had convinced me a couple of weeks ago that these people are picked because of loyalty to Trump. Uh, Bannon apparently doesn't think so. Or he thinks that they they no longer feel loyalty to him. Maybe they felt that they were embarrassed by having to announce their loyalty in front of the general public the other day at the first cabinet meeting. We don't know. We don't know. And Bannon has his own axe to grind. He may want yeah. back in. Yeah. He may be trying to say, look, you're really in danger. You need me. We don't know. Could we talk about the sourcing of this for a minute? Yeah. The source for Bannon does not believe, Bannon is not sure Trump could survive a vote of the cabinet that he is uh, fit, he is able to perform the duties and responsibilities of his office. The source for this is described as a Bannon confidant. What do you think of that? Bannon. (laughs) (laughs) I I just think, um, you know, this reporter better know what he's talking about. Right? I mean, all... He he does an awful lot of anonymous sourcing on this. Now, the whole thing, course, the whole thing, is pretty anonymous. much the whole thing is anonymous. And you, of course, you can't get this kind of stuff if it's not anonymous at this moment. I mean, in another two weeks, we don't know. It could start getting less anonymous as as things begin to become clear. But right now, you can't get that kind of information unless it's anonymous. But you don't know, in my opinion, you don't know how you're being played. Yeah, and the the rest of this article is attributed to conversations with a half dozen advisors and friends of the president. Now, a half dozen is a lot better than one confidant, especially if they're all saying the same that they have observed the same thing. If you're a reporter, it's much better to have six sources than to have one source. Right, but you might also say uh, friends, because <laughs> if those are his friends, there's trouble brewing. Mm. <laughs> you know, so um, I'm not sure what it where it's really coming from. Well, maybe we need a congressional investigation of the leaks. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> that's certainly one way to uh, to approach this information. So uh, bottom line here, it seems that not only is uh, Trump potentially in big trouble if Manafort cooperates with the special counsel – not just Trump, but Don Jr. and Jared Kushner would also seem to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, there's only one name we haven't mentioned here that we, you and I often talk about. Ivanka is, doesn't seem to be part of the story. I don't think she's going to go to jail. She's a clever girl. <laughs> she, she's not going down with the team. Um, I just hope Manafort has good security in his prison cell. <laughs> well, he's got... Good close. We certainly know <laughs> There's that. There's that. You know, the other thing, if I could just go back in our closing moments here to uh, the money laundering thing. Yes. 
Not only did he play Bijan, pay Bijan of Beverly Hills more than half a million dollars in money transfers from a Cypriot bank for clothes, he also paid his gardener. He paid uh, uh, his caterer. Uh, There's some great quotes in some of the stories. There's someone who looks at his garden and says, now that just doesn't look like, you know, a $200,000 landscaping job to me. <laughs> yeah, the New York Times did a big article where they interviewed other people uh, who are his neighbors in Southampton or wherever the, wherever the heck it is. Um, and some of them say, well, yeah, you know, $100,000 a year on clothes, that's, that's not that unusual in our circles. Certainly it's uh, unusual for KPFK. In, in most circles. <laughs> in most circles. But the, um, the New York store where he spent $120,000 a year for five years or something like that, the owner said, no, we have many, many clients who, who pay so that. In the 1%, we have many clients who... Who, who, who spend that. Um, and uh, $141,500 a year over six years he spent at a luxury retailer on Madison Avenue. Um, and I guess paying your uh, your gardener uh, $100,000 to maybe redid the hedges or something. I don't know. Put in a drought-resistant garden, maybe. That would... That would, <laughs> that would clean them out. That would clean them out. <laughs> Well, we are eagerly awaiting the news about what uh, what happens to Manafort. Thank you very You're much. Welcome. If you were facing 20 years in prison, would you cooperate with the prosecutors? I think I, I would. think I would. I think I would. I think I would. Amy Lentz writes about all the Trumps for thenation.com. Amy, thanks for coming in today. You're very welcome. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on 90.7 KPFK with Trump Watch and the TrumpWatchPodcast.com. Next up, Republicans, corporations, and taxes, John Nichols reports. That's in a minute here on KPFK when our show continues. It's the same old story. This is Trump Watch. I'm John Wiener, live in L.A. on KPFK. Coming up at four tonight, this is happening, Jerry Quickly. But first, the Republican tax bill was finally released today in the House. It would cut corporate taxes by more than a trillion and a half dollars. Wow, that's even more than we made in the KPFK fund drive that just ended. For comment, we turn to John Nichols. Of course, he's national affairs correspondent for The Nation, author of the new book, Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, a field guide to the most dangerous people in America. John Nichols, welcome back. Yeah, but someday, John, that KTFK fun drive, <laughs> it's going it's to do the trillion. Okay. It's just a matter of time, brother. But well, until then, <laughs> until then... Uh, I think the rich people are going to get that. Yeah, well, tell us tell us about the tax bill the Republicans introduced in the House today. <laughs> it's just unbelievably awful. I mean, there's, there's no way to talk about it except to say that, you know, if you had a bunch of rich people, like, you know, the Koch brothers got together with the Mercers oh. and Sheldon Adelson, and they drew up a wish list, and then Congress said to them, you know, 
you're not really asking for enough. Let us give you more. (laughs) I mean, just to give you the basics of it, brother, because people need to know um, that it's, it, it is going to collapse the number of brackets where we, we tax. And, and what, it doesn't actually get rid of the top marginal tax rate. That's still going to be there. But it does get, it moves the, the number up. So uh, individuals now, to get into that top rate, you've got to be making 500000 or more for couples a million or more. So we're like, what we're doing is we are um, we're going to tell people who are rich that they now can pay less, right? Substantially less, because you can be a millionaire, right, or a millionaire couple making a million bucks a year, and you're going to be paying less. You know, a millionaire. Right. Let me just say, a millionaire used to mean your wealth was a million dollars. That's the total amount of value that you held in your house, your retirement accounts, your banks. This is a million dollars annual income. Yeah, and if you make just a little under a million, you know, like nine ninety nine. Yeah, um, you're you're coming out ahead. So right off the bat, there's some very rich people that are gonna gonna do pretty well under this thing. But 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 it gets it gets better for them. Uh, because they're going to get rid of the alternative minimum tax, right? Mm. Which was created to for people who like loophole their way out of paying almost anything, right? Right. right. You create the alternative minimum tax. Say, well, we'll find, we'll get a little something out of you. That that goes away. So that's another huge benefit for the rich. And then, because many rich people are associated with corporations, you may have heard. I've heard. Um, <laughs> things are really going to go good for them because corporate taxes drop from 35% to 20%. Nice round yeah, number. Nice round number. <laughs> nice and clean, man. Um, and it just keeps on going from there. You know, they, they will make a big deal about the fact that, um, that there you know, are a lot of people that won't have to pay taxes under this. But th- what, what people don't recognize is that you know, the people who won't pay taxes on this are people who are really, really poor, you know, or people who are really struggling. And um, this isn't going to make their lives any better, right? They don't get a tax cut. They get, you know, they just continue in the circumstance they're in. Um, where the, the people who really get kind of hurt in this thing, or it looks like they're going to get hurt the worst in this thing, are going to be working class, middle class people who have, you know, some decent income, they make a living. Um, they're not going to get big tax cuts. Um, but in states where um, you have local taxes, state taxes, property taxes, and this is all getting worked out, though. There's a big push and pull on this right now. Yeah. But it appears that the Republicans' plan to pay for these big benefits for the rich by making it harder for people in states that do have, and in communities that have local taxes, um, to deduct those from their taxes. Yeah. Now, they'll get some back. There are already Republicans from New York and other states that are clawing some of that back. But the important thing to understand is that under this bill, in this project, the way that they pay for these unimaginable tax cuts, people saying as much as $1.2 trillion, even $1.9 trillion, depending on which estimate you look at, 
The way they pay for this is by taking away deductions that benefit working class and middle class people and also, by any measure, creating deficits that the children and the grandchildren of working class and middle class people will be paying decades into the future. Yeah. Well, driving into... Driving into the studio today, I heard Elizabeth Warren uh, uh, with Chuck Todd. She had a wonderful argument. She said, if you're going to take $2 trillion uh, uh, from the taxpayers, why not spend it on infrastructure? That would actually create jobs. It would make America a better place. Uh, instead sure. of, I thought that was a great argument. It's a great argument. You could spend it on education. Or, yeah. There's a ton of things we could spend it on. We could just give people money, right? It would be more likely if we just sent everybody their portion of two trillion bucks, right? It would be more likely to stimulate the economy. Oh, for than sure. The way they're doing it now. For sure. For sure. And and I'm not for that. I think I think that you know what we do collectively is better. But what I'm saying is this is an incredibly, incredibly inefficient way to govern. It is, a, is, on the other hand, a very efficient way to redistribute wealth upwards, literally to take from the working class, the middle class, and move money up to the wealthy. Now, the, the, um, the stock market has been going wild for the last several months. They seem to think the corporate tax cut is going to go through uh, I wonder if you think they might be too optimistic about this. Trump has said, Trump told Congress he wants this bill uh, before Thanksgiving, which is uh, in the four weeks or something like that. You think that's going to yeah, happen? It's not, it's not coming by Thanksgiving um, unless some really big things happen. They, they do have a plan to vote within a matter of days, you know, <sighs> with very little debate, very well, little hey, examination. What about the hearings? I want, I want to watch the hearings on TV. When's that going to be? Oh, John, you romantic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the 1960s you're talking about. Oh, dear. Now TV's just talking about Trump's latest tweet. Um, unfortunately, what there, there, would be, there'll be some, there will be some, you know, reflection, some debate, but they're going to try and squeeze it into like two or three days rather than, you know, weeks of analysis. Now, th- I think this thing will get dragged out longer, though, because... There are, the problem is not probably in the House. Uh, It's more likely in the Senate. In the Senate, um, there have already been enough Republicans who stepped up saying, this looks bad, this is a non-starter, or at least it it appears to be something they can't vote for, to kill it. Mm. Democrats hold. And so there's going to have to be a lot more negotiation. Um, But the problem with where we're at now is, this bill is so fundamentally flawed. And then when you add on to that, the fact that they're going to have to give away a lot to senators to get them to vote for it, uh, many of those things sort of targeted tax breaks and other yeah. benefits for certain states, that at the end of the day, those deficit production or projections are going to go up dramatically. And so... You've got a really, really bad piece of legislation here. It may be so bad that in the reconciliation process, once they give enough at the Senate level, that when it comes back toward the House, that then many of those deficit hawk Republicans in the House are going to vote against it. So 
Um, I just, I'm not sure Mr. Trump's going to get what he wants. However, I will tell you that if they get this, yes, the stock market will go up because, you know, we're, we're just giving them money. Right. I mean, right. It's not like they're going up because we're, you know, got new ideas or great productivity. And I will emphasize one other thing that's really important. While we're talking taxes today, we shouldn't overemphasize the promise of tax cuts in analyzing the strength of the stock market or the boom of the stock market. The other reason that the stock market is going up is that Trump's appointees in the regulatory state, in places like the FCC and the SEC, as well as in cabinet agencies, are systematically deconstructing rules, regulations, administration in, in ways that are often bigger giveaways to corporations. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Thank and you so for pointing they got that out. A lot out. of reasons to be excited. <laughs> and let me just say, if you want to find out more about this, there's a book I recommend. Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse tells you exactly what is going on in all the different agencies. Trump doesn't have to tell them what to do. Trump doesn't even know what to do, but they do. They do. That's the thesis of Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse by John Nichols. Uh, speaking of Trump, he tweeted yesterday. Wouldn't it be great to repeal the very unfair and unpopular individual mandate in Obamacare and use those savings for further tax cuts, close quote? Experts say this would save $416 billion by 2026. How about we reopen the Obamacare debate as part of the tax debate? Well, that's exactly right. And that's, that's, that's the bigger deal here. I know it, <laughs> we've described this sort of Trumpocalypse uh, scenario on many of the, you know, the tax rates and things like that. But the, the thing that's really scary is that none of this works, none of their, their tax reform works without a lot of other changes in what government does. And one of the biggest things is health care. And so the reason many people were like, why didn't you do the tax cuts first? Because that's kind of popular. Right? Yeah. I mean, people don't like to pay tax. Well, the reason they didn't do that, the reason they kept going at health care again and again and again, is that unless you essentially repeal Obamacare, or at least, you know, completely deconstruct it, the ability to do a functional tax reform is very, very slim. I mean, it doesn't really work. And so no one should be foolish enough to think that in this tax debate that we are about to have, and it's going to be the big debate of the rest of the year, in this tax debate we are about to have, no one should be foolish enough to imagine that there won't be attempts to slip changes in the Affordable Care Act into the tax plan, because hmm. they actually need that to make it the overall thing work. And so I guess the best counsel I would give to people is I know that all of our lives we've tried to avoid serious discussions about tax policy, because it seems like something you'd leave to an accountant. Yeah. As citizens, this is something we should pay, like, really precise attention to, because things will be happening on a day-to-day -day basis, sometimes with, you know, minimal notice, that could fundamentally restructure not just our tax code, but our health care, and a whole host of other things. So, we're entering into the point where maximum vigilance for citizens, especially people who want to resist this administration, becomes extremely important. 
And uh, I think part, one of the reasons that the Republicans are so eager to vote on this right away is to uh, prevent uh, a, an extended debate on what is in the bill. The longer this, ta- this takes them, the more time we have to teach people what's really going on and to mobilize opposition. And, of course, we have a great example of how to fight this kind of thing, which is the Obamacare fight. Right. And let me, but let me offer you, John, because you're one of my favorite people in the world. Okay. I'm going to let you in on one of the subtleties of American politics. Yes. And that is, if you want to do something really awful, do it around Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh. I'm not kidding, because people are walking into the stores, the Christmas music's already starting to play, they're busy getting the turkey and doing all that stuff like that, and it's actually something people like to do, they like the holidays, they like to focus in on that and not pay a lot of attention to Washington. Also, people in Washington desperately want to get done being in Washington and yeah. back home and stuff like that, and so that's why we're in a particularly dangerous zone here. Because when you play out big things in the holiday season, you end up with uh, distraction on the part of citizens and urgency on the part of members of Congress. That's a very bad combination. John Nichols with a message of holiday cheer. Readamitthenation.com and read his new book, Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, A Field Guide to the Most Dangerous People in America. John, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Well, that's it for today's Trump Watch. I want to thank my other guest, Amy Willens, talked about Trump family troubles in the wake of the indictments from the Office of the Special Prosecutor. Thanks to our engineer, D'Angelo Jones. Thanks to our producer, Renee Reynolds. Thanks to Rai Cooter for our theme music, Mambo Sinuendo. Hey, Trump Watchers, if you missed part of this show or any of our recent shows, you can listen online anytime you want at trumpwatchpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at trumpwatchpcast. Trump Watch returns next week at the same time on this same station. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.